following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. This series for the next nine weeks is going to be so important for every single one of us here. So I invite you, whether you, whether you consider yourself to be a very strong Christian and just want to be encouraged in your faith, you will be encouraged. If you consider yourself to be a person of faith, but maybe not Christian faith, then this is good for you as well. If you're just trying to figure out where you fall in all that, you are welcome, and I encourage you to, to, in, to engage with us in these, in these passages as we go in. So, let's get into it. Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, Hebrews is categorized by many biblical scholars as, as not so much a letter, but really a sermon that's really given to these people. It's a, it's a sermon. And, and particularly, they were trying to write this sermon. We don't know who exactly wrote it, but they're writing it to, to counsel them because they were experiencing a tremendous amount of grief and fear. And like any time you have this horrible uh, social fear and grief going on, it's nice to gather people and to come together to pray, to talk, to just reflect. Um, and here we are, January 8th, one year ago, our, our city and our nation did the exact same thing. There was something going on that was very, that was very grievous, very tragic, and our city came together, and our whole country came together. Our, the President of the United States came to Tucson, and, and millions of people were watching on TV. And there was this general message given of hope. And that's what's going on, in a sense, in, in this entire book. Gathering socially, gathering people, and, and giving them a counsel and a message of, of hope where there was grief and fear. Um, this is a very hard time for, for Christians. Uh, Rome, I want to get a little bit about what's going on in Rome in 49 AD. Uh, there was this emperor named Claudius, and he didn't like Christians, and so what he did was he, he imprisoned them, and he would whip them, and he would take them from their families and put them in prison. And that was really as bad as it got. But then in, in 64 AD, this emperor came along named Nero. Does that name sound familiar? Emperor Nero of Rome. And he did a little bit more than just imprison Christians, but he took joy in slaughtering, slaughtering thousands of Christians, killing them, uh, bru- making a spectacle out of it. And Christians, imagine that. What if, if you were to come to church tonight, your very life was at danger? Um, I don't know if I would be here. <laughs> no, many of you would not be here, right? Uh, you would be very scared. You would be scattered. And, and many of you would probably deny the faith altogether. I don't want to assume that, but I imagine that's what's going on in this, in this book. And that's what, what could go on with many of us here. Are you a Christian? And, and, and if you are, then, then you're, you're going to die a, a brutal death. And this is what's going on. People are scattering. People are leaving. And so... Hebrews is written for these people. Um, over time, there were increased threats and persecution, and the Christian community was, was diminishing, was getting very small. And they needed a, a message and a messenger of sensitivity and someone who could understand what they were going through to encourage them and to give them confidence and give them hope. And we see it. So many people were doing that. They were fleeting the Christian faith. And then we see this glimmer of something really special going on here in our passage that we started in verse 34. And go back to that, verse 34 in chapter 10. The writer says this, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. How on earth, look at this story, how on earth 
when all this is going on, there was this glimmer of hope in these people that counted the cost. And they saw what was going on, and they counted all that could happen. I could be kicked out of my house. My whole, all of my possessions could be taken away. Visiting you in prison, could, I would be risking my own life. And it says that there was a group of people who did this, and not only did it, but did so joyfully. And my question is, how on earth, what could compel, compel a people to do that? To have that kind of attitude and perspective and motivation to live their life like that? To make, have a confession of faith and to walk joyfully and confidently knowing that their lives were, were at risk and the lives of the people they loved. Bearing abuse, losing their property, losing their own life. Crazy, right? These are the kinds of people that God desires for us to be. These very same kind of people that would count the cost and see that if we were to lose everything, we would still pursue it by faith and do it joyfully. And this is the kind of people that God wants us to be. And the whole book is about that. It's written, the whole book of Hebrews is written so that it would produce people like that. But first, before we look at what kind of people God wants us to be, I want you to think about just briefly who you are right now. Right now, today, where you sit. What kind of person are you? Is, are, are you a kind of person that could be defined like someone like that, of a person of faith like that? Have you counted the cost of what it means to live by faith in Christ? Maybe you're at a place right now where you're grieving, where you're stressed, where you're frustrated, where you don't know where your hope is. You're just trying to get by, and that's where you are right now. I just want you to think about where you are in your, place, in your life right now. Is it confused? Is it confident? Is it struggling? Is it just skeptical? Is it indifferent? Where are you? What, is, what place does God have in your life, life, whether it's daily or weekly or monthly or yearly or seasonally or whatever that is? What role does God play in your life? I was uh, uh, in Norway a few years ago and, uh, with, a, with, a, with a group of, from our church. And it's so funny. Uh, we were there. We went by this, this dock, I guess, at the, at the edge of a water. And there was this jellyfish kind of swimming up to us. And a friend of mine who was with me, he took a stick from the ground. And he goes over to this jellyfish and he, starts, he just starts poking it right in the, in the balloon. Like right in the balloon part of the jellyfish, just poking it. And we hear this screech of this young girl, like, coming up from behind us, saying, no, what are you doing? Don't do that. You're hurting it. And my friend begins to talk about how it feels no pain. And jellyfish, um, they have no senses and no personality and no brain. And their whole entire existence is just a, a chemical reaction from one reaction to another. And he just proceeds to just poke this jellyfish along. And I join in with him, and I think, well, you've, you've made a good argument, and there's, you know, there's nothing that it can hurt this guy. And the girl continues just to wail. And I don't know whether it was out of boredom, boredom or sympathy. We, we stop. Um, but the point is, is, sometimes your life can feel like that. And I want to know, is your life like that? Where you feel like, you know what, I'm just going from one reaction in my life to another. I'm not engaged. I'm not passionate. I'm not living by faith. I don't make decisions that are either rational or faith-based or, or based on anything real. I'm just living life from one thing to another. And the people that are commended by their lives of faith are, are very different from that. And we don't want to be like that, like a jellyfish. Is your life like that? And, and I want, if it is, I, I, want to, I want to propose another question. And that is, if it is like that, I want us to see what, what are we made for? What is our life supposed to be like? How has God made us? And is it from just 
you know what, let's take one day at a time. Because I know a lot of us say that, and that, that phrase has even come out of my mouth at times. Let's just take one day at a time. And, and is that what God really desires for us? And look at verse 36, and I think that this is what God desires for us. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. It says this, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And I think our purpose, the reason God has made us and how we should live is to, to do the will of God and to enjoy His reward. Not just go from one thing to another, but to, to, to live as He intends for us to live, to pursue the will of God, to know what it is and to live by it, and then to receive His reward and enjoy that process and that, that end result of that. And the writer of Hebrews says this, that there are two kinds of people. There are people that don't know the will of God, that do not pursue the will of God, and they shrink back and they retreat, and they miss out on that reward and what God has. And then there are people who live by faith. And they walk by faith, and they grasp that full reward that God has promised to us. And this is why he's written this, so that we can be people like that. Without God, we can't please God. Without faith, we cannot please God. We cannot obey God, we can't enjoy Him, and we can't live the lives that He desires for us to live. So what is faith all about? Let's get into that. What is faith all about? I want to answer that in two ways. One, the first thing is that the first is that faith is all about evidence. Okay, the first is faith is all about evidence. Verse one in chapter eleven, he begins to define faith, and he says, "Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for." And I'll stop right there. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. When my first trip, I remember to Florida, a little different than Norway. My first trip, I was in middle school, went with my family on spring break to Florida, first time. First time to the Gulf, first time to the beach there. And what was astonishing was I saw just thousands of little, little lizards everywhere. You ever been down there? It's kind of a lot like Tucson in the summer, but even more so because the, the driveways are covered in these little lizards. The walls and the fences are covered. The trees are just covered in these little geckos and little lizards. And when you pull, it's amazing. You pull your car in to the driveway and they just scatter. And then you get out of the car and then they just come back. And everywhere you go, there are lizards everywhere. And me, I was a young boy, and I, when I saw that, all I wanted was to grab some lizards. Like, I want to get some lizards. They're, like, really fast, and I just want to go and grab them. And I spent the rest of my trip with my siblings, my young siblings, like, hunting after these lizards and trying to grab them. And I remember this one particular time where I go, and I, you, you know that time when you, you're going after it, and you think you have it, but you don't know exactly if you caught it or not, like you're catching a fly, and you look in your hand, and you're just hoping that it's inside your hand? Well, it was kind of like that. And I go after this, this lizard, and I grab for it, and I lunge for it, and I say, I think I got it. I think I feel him moving inside. And I open up my hand, and it's his tail. And his tail is just like going like this, whipping around. And then I look around, and I see a bunch of other lizards just with their tails like cut off. And it's that kind of lizard that when you, they, it's a defense mechanism. They actually like detach their tail. Bizarre. Jesus made that. That was his idea, by the way. <laughs> But no, you know what I thought when I grabbed this tail and I saw the tail squirming in my hands? I thought, if I have the tail, it's possible to get the whole thing. Right? And I did. Faith, this first part of faith, what is faith all about? Faith is knowing, faith is evidence, knowing that we have grasped something. And this something is evidence of something way more. Knowing that we've got a part of it, and that part of it, has given us a hunger and a thirst and a desire for more. You know, 
how you can know if you have this faith inside of you? Do you have that hunger and desire for more? If you're sitting here thinking, you know what, I don't know if I have faith. And if you're saying, you know what, I don't really, I don't hunger for a relationship with God. I don't run after it. I don't desire it. Um, when I sin, I don't feel a grief in my heart towards, f- towards God and what I've done. I don't feel an affection for Christ. I don't feel a motivation to, to love God, to know God, to love others. If you don't have a hunger for this, you probably have not tasted what it really is like. But if you have tasted it, if this gift of faith has been given you by God and you've experienced this taste of what it means to have a relationship with God, to have your sins forgiven, to enjoy that, to enjoy His presence, to enjoy the, His Spirit that He has given to us as a gift and as a promise of His presence in our life, you know what that's going to do? It's going to make you want more. And in wanting more, you won't be satisfied completely until you actually obtain it and grab onto it and say, I got it! Everything that I've been hungering for and thirsting for, I possessed it. And God has given us a promise. He, and this is what these people are characterized by. He says, I look in your life and I see that you have, there's evidence in your life that you've tasted something and what has made you to live a life of faith, abandoning all worldly treasures and promises, is a hope for something in the future. And that's what faith is like. But he said, but it's not like hoping in something that's just arbitrary or out there or a blind faith. It's hoping in something that is real and concrete and, has, and you have tasted it, and it is, it is real, and it's firm. To walk by faith means that you have grasped something, the truth of God, and you know what, you can't grasp it unless you actually know it and know what it says. So primarily, it means to live by faith means that you know what God has, has said to you through his word. You believe it, you taste it, you hunger for it. And you know that his promises can be fully, fully grasped and fully possessed. And that's what you live your life for. You live your life saying, I will not, I will, I will grow tired running after this and hungering after this. My sights are on owning it. And Jesus says, and it's a promise, he says, you will own it. You will have this inheritance of eternal life, of eternal joy and, and peace and presence with me forever. Where your sins are not counted against you where you know what it truly feels like to be loved, where you know me as well as I know you. This is the inheritance that he promises to us. Now it's a difference. Is sometimes we can grasp for things and get a piece of something, but it's not actually a thing. Like let's say this lizard is running through the grass, the grass and I dive on the grass with my two hands and I, I clutch onto where I think that lizard is and I pull it up and I look at my hands and it's just a hand, my hands are full of just broken grass. Wouldn't it be foolish of me to say, well, I didn't get the lizard, but I got this handful of grass, and that's good enough. I got something. See, we all have faith. That doesn't mean it's faith in, in it doesn't mean it's saving faith. It doesn't mean it's faith in the right thing. Well, I, I, I grasp after God, but I got something different. It's not Jesus, it's not God, but it's, but it's personal happiness, and it's self-satisfaction, and it's, um, um, it's morality, so those things are not Jesus, and those things are not saving faith. It's faith in something, but those things will never satisfy us the way that Jesus promises to. Janae and I went to this fancy dinner one time, and it was a seven-course meal, and each meal paired with a, a special wine or, or liquor of some sort. And It was pretty fancy and pretty amazing, and we, we've only done this once, um, first and last time probably. And it was, just, it was so special, and I was so excited about it, 
that I, the whole entire night I couldn't enjoy it because I was nervous that in this seven-course meal that I would stuff myself, and when meal five, six, and seven came, I wouldn't be hungry to enjoy that. And so I said, I'm, I'm going to pace myself. And so I paced myself the entire meal, and, and course one came, and I had a little bit of it, and I didn't, I didn't eat the whole entire thing. And I said, this is my strategy. It's a good strategy. And, and then meal two comes, and I do the same thing, and three and four and five, and six and seven come, and we're done with the seven-course meal, and they take it away, and I'm sitting there, and I look at Janae, and I say, I'm starving. <laughs> like, I've paced myself the entire time, and I'm still hungry. I still want more. And I just, I just blew it. Maybe I should do it again just to get another try. These, these Christians were able to be, to be free to enjoy every bit of what God had because they had this evidence and this faith that more was coming. And in enjoying what they had, they, could, they knew that if they grasped it and trusted in it, that they would possess and, and hold on to what God had promised them forever. And this motivated them in everything they did. They had this taste for something that was tremendously better than a taste for what the world could offer them. And you know the big difference in what the world could promise them and what God promises us? One thing is going to last forever. And one thing will be sure to, to pass away. The world and everything in it will cease to be and it will pass away. And it's like a vapor. It's like a mist. It's like a puff of air that comes and goes and is no more. But God and His Word and His salvation is eternal. And He says, this is your reward. This is my promise to you to trust in me, to walk by faith, that you will possess this. You will have it. And everything else will, will, will fade away. And so it's, faith is a rational thing. Faith, faith is a thing based on evidence. Faith is a thing based on, on reason and truth. What does God give us to taste? He, t- he gives us His presence, His peace, His goodness. He gives us His power in the Spirit. He gives us His Word that teaches and guides us and instructs us on how to live. And as we pursue these things and enjoy these things, He gives us a hunger for more. And you might be saying, you know what, I... I I want to have faith, but I just don't. I don't feel this hunger. And I would say, have you sought after God? Have you asked Him for those things? Have you said, make yourself known to me? And then when He has made Himself known to you, have you listened to Him? Have you obeyed Him? Have you pursued Him? Have you kept an open ear and open eyes to what He wants to tell you and to show you? Reward comes from this kind of obedience that we, that we pursue God and we trust in Him. And he tells us to do something, and we do it by faith. And he rewards us. So faith, what is it all about? It's all about evidence. What's it all about, secondly? It's all about perspective. The second part of verse 1 says this, Now faith is the insurance of things hoped for. We looked at that. Secondly, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is about a change in perspective. We come into this world with one perspective, right? Some of us are still in that perspective. We come to this world, one perspective, we, everything is by senses, right? It's all about, about our, our taste, our, our sight, our, our feeling, our smell, our touch. Everything in life, our perspective on life is, can I touch it? Can I smell it? Can I feel it? Can I, can I hear it? Can I see it? Can I engage with this life around me? That's what life is about when we're born. And many of us still live in that kind of life. Faith, this author tells us, is the convictions of things not seen. It's a new kind of perspective. We live by our senses, and if we sense it, it's real. 
And faith requires something more than that. What perspective are we to have if we are to live by faith? Faith says, there is something beyond what I can see that is very real, very meaningful, very tangible, very honest and authentic, and it's of a spiritual nature that I cannot see with my eyes, I can't hear it with my ears, I can't touch it with my hands, but I know that it's real. And without faith, we live life, life with just by a material perspective, right? And if something happens to us in our life, we engage in that circumstance with what we see and can, and can sense and can touch. And we say, how do we make sense of this? And we try to fix it with what we know and what we're experienced in and what, what our gifts are in, what our talents are in, and what we're, how to cope with it. And we, we cope with it with just other material means. With faith, we see that there is that the material things, the circumstances in our life and everything that we can see is only a shadow of something that is beyond that and something that is real, something that is spiritual. You may be asking, what's a good analogy? What's a good, give me a good example of what that looks like to have a new perspective on something that, that I can't see but that, that is truly real and something else is going on beyond it. And I, I'm, I'm going to use a great example because the writer uses his example in, in verse 3. What better use of an, of an analogy than the ones provided right here in our text to teach us? Look at verse 3. He gives us an illustration of what it looks like to have this kind of faith. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are invisible. Some of you might be thinking, how do you know that God created the universe? Were you there? No. Well, then how do you know it happened? And I, what this would say is, even if you were there, you wouldn't see God doing it. He did it by his word. And words are invisible. And you probably wouldn't even be able to hear it. It probably would have just happened. So even if you were old enough to be there, which doesn't make sense because you wouldn't have been created yet, but let's say you could go there and go back and say, let me see wh- how creation came about. What, would you, what you would see is creation coming about. And that's it. Verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are, that are visible. We know by faith that what we see, the visible things, are a shadow of something invisible. A shadow of something significant and meaningful and more important. Faith is a spiritual seeing of the fingerprints of God on everything that we see. When something happens, faith is looking at that circumstance and saying, I know what this is like on the surface, but I believe that there's something beyond this that I can't see with my own eyes. I know that God is doing something real and meaningful beyond what I can see. God, looking at something and saying, God is involved in this in somehow. How can I know what he's doing? And all that we see is made, I mean, visible things, everything. You and I, buildings, events, circumstances, tragedy, grief, sorrow, happiness, joy, success, victory, all of those things, all the things that we can see and engage with, are meant to point to the meaningfulness of Jesus and the spiritual things behind that. And I'll prove to you this way. If you were to read the book of Hebrews, which I would definitely commend to you, you read the book of Hebrews, you see something that is true. You see what the author of Hebrews does is he looks at everything visible and he encases all these earthly material things with a a spiritual casing and a perspective that he wants us to know. 
He says, you look at the temple, that the Jewish people built a temple and it was beautiful. He says, this temple was never meant to be an end in itself. This temple is a, is a shadow of a spiritual temple. That we are God's temple and He indwells us. And it's a temple of a, of a spiritual house that God's presence doesn't have to be in a building, but He actually can reside in our, in our hearts in a spiritual sense. He says, look at the law, look at these rules and all these to-do lists that the Jewish people were given by God. He says, even that wasn't supposed to be an end in itself, but it was a shadow of what was to come in Christ. Look at the angels and the prophets and all these people that told things about God and about what He's like. He said, these, all of these things, those things that they talked about were a shadow of what was true, that they're all telling about something, they're all telling about Jesus. Look at the bread, they say, when, when the people came out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness and they didn't have anything to eat and literally bread came from heaven. And the writer says, that was real and that was significant, but there's something more important than that. It was a shadow of something more significant and it was a shadow that Jesus is our bread of life, that His body is broken for us, that if we trust in Him, it gives us spiritual nourishment and it gives us life, it sustains us. Just like food sustains your body, Christ sustains our life. And he keeps going on and on. He says, look at slavery in Egypt. you think that was all there was? you think that you became a slave and then got rescued from slavery and that's the end of the story? He says, no. He says, that's about our sin. And when we sin, we become a slave to sin. The Bible says that if we've sinned once, it's like a curse. And we become in bondage to it, to its grief, to its consequences. We're like shackled and we can't live the life that we were meant to live. And the Bible says Jesus ransoms us and redeems us and sets us free from that bondage to live a life of freedom where our sins are not counted against us. All of these things were meant to point to a deeper reality. That's what faith is. It's having a different perspective on life. What circumstances and issues are you facing today where you feel like you're just in the middle of it and you don't know the significance of it? And you may be asking, why is this happening? Why is this going on? And I don't know. Oh, man, why would you even come tonight? Sorry. I don't know. I don't have the answer for you. But here is where I can offer a perspective that is a faith perspective. There is something going on way more than you can see and that I can see. There's something in there to show you the love and significance of Jesus for you. There's something going on in that so that you can know how to enjoy God better. So that you can know how to enjoy and glorify God better. It is so that you can gain a capacity to, to experience the love and kindness and mercy of God in your life. I don't know how specifically how that's going to work itself out. But by faith, we look at our circumstances and we say, God, there is more going on than what I see. Help me to see the significance of this. And that's what these people did in Hebrews. I promise if we begin and continue to live a life with this kind of perspective, your, your life will look so different. I mean, even starting today, if you, to walk by faith and to live by faith with this new perspective, when something happens to you tonight saying, God, in some way this shows you a, a picture of who you are in your beauty. Boy, to, to, to go about your day thinking like that, you, your attitude will change, your heart will change, your hunger for things will change, I promise. I mean, I was driving here tonight, and I was daydreaming, and I saw a cop, and the first thing you do is what? 
Look at your speedometer. And the next thing you say is something that can't be repeated. No. That's exactly what happened. I look at the cop, I look at my speedometer, I slam on the brakes, and I say, here it comes. And he didn't come out. And I was so glad. And I said, God, you have been gracious to me in more ways than that. Now, I don't get to mean to get like extremely, like really spiritual, like when I see an open parking spot, then I think God loves me and is taking care of me. No, but, but to see life with a perspective that, God, your grace is giving us something that we do not deserve. When we sin against you all day long and you, are, you show your favor to us continually, imagine what your life will be like when you start to see life with a new perspective. Do you think it's hard to have this kind of perspective? These people are being killed because they say, I believe in what Jesus did. They're being killed by fellowshipping with other Christians. They're being killed and slaughtered and their families are being, their homes are being destroyed and everything that gives them the creature comforts are being taken away from them. What is making these people continue to pursue this faith by joy? It's because of the evidence in what they've grasped and what they trust in. It's because of the perspective that they've gained. And nothing is better than that. And that's something I can't give you. And that's the hard thing. It's like, okay, I want to be a Christian. I want to walk by faith. Can you teach me how? Can you show me how? Can you, can you give the pill to me so that I can live that life? And I can say, no, I can't. I can't tell you what it's like to live a, to like, to, what it's like to live a life of faith to experience, and experience that. Experience that true joy. Same reason I can't tell you what is it like to, what is, what is it like to feel love for your wife and love for your child. I can tell you what it feels like and things like that, but I can't make you experience that. And this book is written so that you and I could experience that. So we can trust in God and have faith and, and, and enjoy that. Now you may be asking, which I ask, and I look at these people and I say, is it even possible to live like that? To, be, to live with a perspective beyond what we can see? Um, and I would say Yes. Hebrews 11 gives us a catalog of faith, a catalog of people who have lived like this and have beaten the odds and have been commended by God because of the circumstances that they faced. We need stories like these people. In the next nine weeks, we're going to take one person at a time and look at these stories and look at how it teaches us to live like people of faith. And some of these people live some pretty horrible lives. And so I want to real briefly just look at not these people, but why is it important to look at testimonies of people and what people have experienced? And I'm going to give just quick answers to this. One is that there's a comfort in comparison, right? Now, I said last week, it's not good for us to come to God and say, God, I'm thankful because at least I'm not like these people. Now, when we confess our sins, that's not right. But in this case, it is right for us. We look at these stories of these people, and it is okay for us to say, it's, we're comforted by the fact that our lives are not as bad as these people. We're going to look at Abel. Okay, Abel, what's the story of Abel? His brother killed him, okay? So everybody here today has it better than Abel, all right? <laughs> Noah, God comes to Noah and says, I'm going to kill everybody in the entire world except your family. Build a boat in the desert, okay? Your life today is already better than Noah, all right? Why is it good to look at people's lives and testimonies of how they've lived by faith? Because it's, there's comfort in comparison. And I promise, as we look at these people, you will come here each week and say, my life is not as bad as I thought it was. Because these people lived miserable lives. It's, it would seem that God hated them, and yet they, they were able to grab onto the promise that he gave them. And they did it with joy, and they were commended for their acts of faith. We're going to be encouraged by that. 
And we're encouraged by Jesus' testimony, because we look at Hebrews as well in chapter 12, and he says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not be weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding of blood. One of my favorite verses, and one of my favorite verses to, to give to you, Because it's so easy to say, God, why is this happening to me? Why have you given me these people? Why have you made this my life? And what does the Bible say? You're not dead yet. Jesus has, he has, you have not been crucified on a cross. So it's better. And guess what? Jesus did that. And he did it by faith. And so he's our example. And these people are our example as well. All right, the next one too is it motivates us. The success of those who have gone before us is motivating, isn't it? I mean, when you see someone that you admire, whether it's in a profession or a field or um, any kind of giftedness, when someone succeeds, you look at that and you're kind of motivated, aren't you? You're motivated to get up out of bed. I mean, how many times after you watch The Biggest Loser do you put the ice cream down and you're saying, tomorrow I'm going for a run? I mean, that's how you feel because when there's success, you're motivated by success. We're going to see all these people in all these scenarios and we're going to see people that had miserable experiences, circumstances. They walked by faith and they won. These are stories of victory, and you're going to be challenged and encouraged by that. I mean, we look at Lord of the Rings, and it, there's, just, there's horrible circumstances. No one would want that, but we're motivated to live a life of, of principle and faith, and we see that. Remember the Titans, right? With the football team and the, the racial divides and everybody coming together, and you're motivated by that. I mean, come on, pretty woman, you know? It's like, you know, hooker to housewife. It's like, you know, this is a great story of victory and, and success. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> Moving on, number three. It holds us accountable, right? When we look at these stories of faith and we see people that have walked by faith, it holds us accountable. It, it shows us a measure of what God desires for us. And when we look at these people, um, I promise you will see um, what God desires for you. And, and I promise that you will, hopefully, you will, you will wrestle with this tension that when you look at the life of these people, you will come face to face with a sin in your own life. And say, I have to either live as God has called me to live, or I'm going to shrink back and I'm going to live my own life. And I hope that you will come to the table and come to, to hear what God has to say to you uh, so that you might enjoy it and, and grow. So I, I hope that you'll be held accountable in that. And, and four, it's a mirror. It reminds us of what we're like. So it's like, when we look at these lives of these people, it's going to hold up a mirror to our face and see how despicable and ugly we are. And, and that's what we need, because then it's going to show us the hope that's in Christ, and, and we'll be comforted by that. Um, and then fifthly, lastly, it's a guide. They point us to what is ultimately worth living and dying for. Every one of these stories, these people are going to teach us. Uh, they're going to say, this is my life, and, and, and they're going to say, I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to point to the answer. And it's always going to point to Christ, and it's, going to, it's always going to point to faith in Christ and what he, what he has done for us, and, and that's where our hope is. Um, all of these stories will tell of at least one profound truth. Uh, and that truth is, it's worth it. Every single one of these stories um, are going to prove to us it's worth it to walk by faith, to trust in Jesus. Um, I promise uh, you're not going to hear a story where their life was miserable and they're going to get to the end of it and they're going to say, I, I wish I hadn't done it like that. Uh, they're going to, they're going to, you're going to see horrible circumstances and you're going to see a triumph at the end and, the, and it's always going to be, it's worth it. It's worth pursuing Christ. Um, so what I want you to be thinking about tonight as we close and, and through the rest of this series is uh, three things. One is, I want you to ask yourself, where's your hope? <clears throat> you and I are not defined by our circumstances. 
Um, Jesus, God says uh, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this is evidence of our faith, that our circumstances don't define our life, and they, they're not an end in themselves. What's going on in your life right now does not define you, and it's not the end of the story. Um, God has, has written that, and he wants to reveal it to you um, as, as we pursue him by faith. And so your hope is in Christ. And third, where's your courage? You and I will face trouble. You're facing it now. You're going to face it tomorrow. I'm a pessimist by nature. If things are going good today, I feel good tonight. I'm excited about this series. I guarantee tomorrow something bad's going to happen. That's just the way it happens. Now my question is, where's your courage? Because something's going to happen. Is your courage in Christ to face those circumstances, those challenges, or is it in yourself? I promise you'll let yourself down. You're not that. You're, you're awesome. You're special, but you're not that awesome. You will mess up. You will fail. Put your hope and courage in somebody who's never failed. And that's Christ. And, and thirdly, where's your perspective? I want you tonight and, and for the rest of the series to see your job, your home, your neighborhood, um, your, your relationships, your dreams, your passions, your hopes, uh, to be grounded in a new perspective. That you see things, all these things are a means of our enjoyment and glory for God. Where's your perspective tonight? Is it in the right place? If it's not, keep coming back. We'll keep learning. We'll keep growing. I'm praying for you. Um, that God will, will meet you where you are and reveal himself to you and, and make all of us to be men and women of, of strong faith. Uh, let's pray together. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com.